Hey there, listeners. It's Samira from Slate Studios. Now, I know I'm not the voice you usually hear on Working, but today we're giving you something a little different. An episode from The Relentless, a series produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. It's a podcast about looking at success differently. And I'm excited to tell you about this episode that you're about to hear. It features Margot Downs. She's a former chief people and culture officer who now advises startups and entrepreneurs. She has some really worthwhile tips about company culture and coaching, no matter what you do for work. If you like what you hear, you can download and subscribe to The Relentless on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Hope you enjoy it. This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. All uses of trademarks or brands are not meant to convey sponsorship or affiliation of this podcast. From Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate, this is The Relentless, a podcast about looking at sales differently. What if? What if I thought outside the box? What if it was more of a celebration with our clients than work? In every episode, we're pulling back the curtain with thought leaders across industries and talking about how they embrace change, overcome hurdles, and stay relentless. I'm Dr. Julie Gurner. I've spent over a decade studying the behaviors of the ultra-successful and have used those insights to empower business leaders in finance, technology, and real estate. In this episode, we're tackling two topics that can really help leaders and teams get to the next level, coaching and creating a company culture. And a few weeks ago, we had a chance to talk to all kinds of brokers and business owners from across the country. Everyone had gathered at Century 21's Leadership Summit in Palm Springs. They told us some ways that coaching could help create the structure they need to succeed. What would you say is the value of coaching? The accountability is like the number one thing. It's critical because otherwise you never do what you don't want to do. If they don't have some type of structure, they get lost really quick. You meet one-on-one with that person. Here's the homework from last time. Did you do that? Business planning, goal setting. How many deals do you have under contract? How many listings? Time management. Working backwards from your, your end goal. And adhering to a set schedule. Seeing where you're at. Keep them on track to reach their goal. You know, as far as attaining your goals. We heard from these leaders that you sometimes have to make changes in your team or office that are more nuanced. And that's where culture comes in. Change is uncomfortable. You know, at one point I had my top agent saying, I don't want to come to the office. I don't feel comfortable there. Like people just are so relaxed with their attire and with their language, they didn't want to show up. So we had to spend a lot of time changing our culture back to where we wanted it. There are going to be some bad apples and you really have to nip that in the bud. I had to let go of a number two producer before. A number two in my office, the kind of business they were conducting was not cohesive to what we were trying to accomplish in our office. In any office, you have to have culture, a culture of inclusion, helping, camaraderie. We have to make sure that in the process of making some of the changes, we don't lose our ultimate goal. We wanted to unpack more approaches to culture and coaching. And The Relentless had the chance to do that live on stage. My special guest was Margot Downs. So Margot helped to develop the people and culture strategy at three iconic brands. I'm sure you've heard of them. Starbucks, Lululemon, and Stitch Fix. As the chief people and culture officer, she helped to scale Stitch Fix from 50 people to seven 
And she did it while retaining a culture of authenticity and also while the company made a transition from being private to public. These days, Margot advises early stage companies and coaches entrepreneurs and leaders in human resources. So if you would help me welcome Margot to The Relentless, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> So when you approach coaching and you worked at a company like Stitch Fix that was scaling so quickly and aggressively hiring, how do you approach coaching in an environment like that? I think you have no choice but to actually believe in coaching. And why is that? Because I think it's like any business that's scaling, you realize really quickly you can't do it by yourself. And so you're really going to have to trust and empower people to actually be coaches and to lead other people, which was really the situation at Stitch Fix. I think at one time we were hiring 100 stylists a week. In fact, when I would be talking to people about the business, you know, I would come back and I'd say, we have 400 stylists. And they were like, last week you said you had 200. And I was like, I know, we now have 400. So with that, you really need to empower other people to be managers and to lead and to coach to be able to scale the culture and also get the performance that you want. So there's just no way that you can hold that so tightly and do it yourself. Yeah, and, and I can imagine as head of people operations, you're doing coaching on a number of levels. So you're coaching your own team, then you're coaching the leaders of other departments, and then you're teaching them how to coach their own teams. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how you go through that process and empower <laughs> other people to keep it consistent? It was busy. You know, one of the things I've learned about coaching over time is even though we're talking about coaching at scale, it's intimate. You know, and that's not a word that we often use a lot in business. I think that can make people right. feel a little, like, anxious. But it's very relational. We're really allowing people to have insight into us and to be vulnerable. Yeah. And so I think what's really important and has to be present is trust. So I think you have to really build a trusting relationship with people and have them know that you're standing for them. You know, that you really are standing for the best possible outcome and the best person that they can be. And I think I experienced that. You know, there are a lot of people when you're scaling, they're managing people for the first time. And so mm -hmm. issues and challenges that come up with people, we all know they come up. People are people, even though they're great. And people would be very anxious. And so being able to guide and coach and be that person for someone else during those experiences, I know for me was really, really enriching and built some really great lifelong relationships with people. And also me being coached by other people during those experiences. Well, I was going to mention that because you've really worked with some very charismatic CEOs. I mean, yeah. the CEO of Starbucks and Lululemon and Stitch Fix all have personalities. And I'm wondering if there's anything you've taken away, a little story or something you've taken away that you still use in your work today from any of them. I think I would say, I mean, they're all incredible people, and I learned a lot from all of them, but I was, I was thinking about Katrina Lake, who's the CEO of Stitch Fix. And Katrina is, you know, as amazing, high-powered, dynamic entrepreneur and super direct. Mm. And Stitch Fix was really a culture that was about giving and receiving feedback, because that's actually at the core of the business, which right. is really about receiving feedback on how the clothes are working for people. And so that was really mirrored internally in the culture. But Katrina would give me feedback all the time. 
And sometimes it was hard to hear, you know, even though she delivered it in a way that I knew was kind and we had a really trusting relationship. But what I learned from her was just being direct and not pulling the punches. And I think you can do that in a way with people that is really compassionate and helpful. And I knew I grew a ton just by listening to her and giving and her giving me feedback. It seems almost that you say that kind of giving that feedback directly is sometimes even more kind because it's helpful to other people. It's super kind. I think not giving people is stingy. You know, I worked with, with a, a really great person at Stitch Fix that would say, if I withhold the feedback, it's, it's really withholding that person's opportunity to be great. Yeah. So if I'm thinking something, and the worst of it is if I'm thinking something and then I go tell someone else about it, which I do, and I think, you know, we all have those moments because it's awkward and it's uncomfortable, yeah. but it is so beneficial to relationship and to performance to really push through that. So would there be anything that you would say, I mean, very different companies, that you would say is a common thread in their culture that helped them succeed? Wow. I mean, they're so different, which is yeah. what has been so great. I think they were all authentically true to themselves. So I don't think that, you know, Lululemon was trying to be Starbucks. Starbucks was not trying to be Stitch Fix. I think it's really about what is authentic to you and to your brand. So, for example, Lululemon, if you think of it being such an aspirational brand, you know, Mm -hmm. it's about high performance and those yoga pants and all those products that we love and the things that we're going to do in them. One of the things that would happen internally in the company was that we would actually teach educators, so the people that worked in the stores, how to set a vision and goal for their life. Hmm. And it was beyond work. It was just, we want you to have and live your best life. And so the fact that that was actually happening internally and was very authentic to the brand was really communicated. And I think if you've ever been in a Lululemon, you're going to have that experience. I've had educators at Lululemon, even although I don't work there anymore, show me like, hey, here's our goal worksheet. Are you interested in that? So I think it's really interesting and great to continue to be authentic to who you are because what you're trying to put that out there externally to the consumer needs to be reflected in the unique experience inside of the company. So if I just want to follow up a little bit on that culture of authenticity, because I love that, and I think sometimes that can seem very distanced, and I'm trying to kind of figure out what exactly that means for a company, because there's so many real estate leaders sitting in the audience today, you know, how do they get to what is authentic for them? Right. Well, I think it, it is about, again, knowing your brand and knowing yourself. And authenticity, a little bit like Um, intimacy can also have another edge to it, right? Because authentic can just be like, I'm going to let it fly, (laughs) right? And that's not what we're talking about. I think we talk about authenticity. It's, again, being very, very true to yourself. I think as individuals, it's about knowing your strengths and being able to play to those strengths. I think it allows you to attract the people that are the correct people for your company and for your culture. So if you're putting it out there to say, hey, this is what's important to our brand, this is what's important to our consumers at Stitch Fix or Starbucks or Lululemon, you're going to attract those people. And so you'll have better retention and you'll have a better customer experience. And so I think that that to me is really what's incredible about authenticity. And I also think people pretending to be something that they're not is just a distraction. It kills innovation. It kills productivity. So let's all just be honest about who we are and play to our strengths and find the right places where we can shine. That's a fantastic answer, by the way. But I'm wondering, you know, we're sitting in a room, real estate leaders uh, who are running their own business, but we also have podcast listeners who are entrepreneurs, salespeople, real estate agents. I'm wondering if you have any just practical small steps people can take actionable steps to begin to kind of create that culture they want to see? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing you have to do, and it sounds really basic, is know who you want to be. 
And so I think there's often, and I work with startups and I work with entrepreneurs, and I think there's a lot of time and energy that's put into the actual product. Mm -hmm. So this is X product or X app that's going to be the next Uber or the next Starbucks or the next whatever. Right. And not as much thought that's actually being put into what's the kind of company that we actually want to be inside. Because it's the inside experience that delivers the external experience. So I think that that's really important. And I think you start by creating like, what are your values? What is your vision for the people of your company? And what are those key frameworks? I don't think it has to be complicated, but I think you should be very explicit about who you are and who who you are not, because I think that's equally as important. And then I think it's checking to just see, do your programs, your policies, all those other things, your philosophies really line up against what you want the culture to be. But essentially what culture is, is you deciding with a group of people how you're going to operate. Families have culture, sports teams have cultures, companies have cultures, and that's really what you're doing is just figuring that out. So what if we have people sitting in here today who said, I know we have a culture and maybe it's not one they like. So how do you begin the process of changing a culture or making a transition if you're in a culture that you feel, or even you're leading a business that you feel isn't quite on the mark? Mm -hmm. I think that's really courageous. So if you're currently sitting here doing that, I applaud you because I think that's a hard thing to look at with something that you've actually built and to be, you know, really look at that and say, this is not what I actually intended it to be. Great. That's step one. And then I think it's really, again, about creating the vision of what do you want it to be? And where have you gone off track and really communicating that to yourself and to other people about what it's going to be? I often think when people talk about cultural transformations, it's actually about getting back to who they really are. Hmm. Oftentimes, I saw that happen at Starbucks. I think it was in 2008. We closed all the stores, reopened them, and retrained them on the basics of steaming milk and pulling espresso shots because we had gotten away from what essentially made Starbucks Starbucks. And so we decided, close the store. And we were going to reopen the next, after we taught everybody, and reopen the next day with a quality promise. And so I think that's what another thing is what I would say to the person who's feeling like my culture has gone off track. Is it that you need to make a radical change? Or have you just gotten away from who you really are? It's a good question. It's a really great question. And so, you know, how do you begin to measure? Is it quantifiable? Is it something that you can really, you know, put a measurement against? Or is it just kind of this ethereal thing that you can't put your hands around? No, it's not. I think, you know, that's probably one of the myths about culture is I think people think it's soft or it's extra or it's optional. And it's going to happen. Whether you actually are intentional about culture or not, you will have a culture. (laughs) And it will be the one you want or it will be something else. But I think in terms of measuring it, there are incredible tools that are out there, even for small businesses, that you can use to measure culture. But I think what I would suggest is defining the behaviors you want to see. So what would the behaviors be that you would see when no one was watching? So does somebody refill the coffee pot? You know, does somebody go the extra mile to help a colleague? Like, what are some of those, you know, behaviors that could be maybe four or five things that you really think define what your culture actually looks like when it's living and breathing? And then I would find a way to measure those things. I love that you get into the small gestures, too. It's even this, in, it's inherent in kind of the smallest things it that is. you see around the office. I learned that at Starbucks. We used to say it's one cup of coffee, one person at a time. Because you can really lose yourself in the bigness of some of these concepts and ideas. But it is the actual small gestures. People create culture. People are either a consumer of a culture or they're a generator of a culture. And that's what you're really looking at at is how people generate the culture. So is there ever a point where a business could say, I like where I'm at. Can you get to a sweet spot and try to maintain that? 
I think you should. I think it's always good to celebrate where you're at. And, and I think you always have to keep looking at it because it can just sneak up so on it's you. Constant it's constant I think it's constant, but I wouldn't advise constantly changing it. Right. Right? I think, you know, you want to always be examining it and take it out of the vault, if you will, and say, is this still alive? Does this still work for us? Is this still relevant for my business? Uh, but I wouldn't constantly be doing that. I think you want to give it a chance to have some life and let it breathe. So I, I'm going to ask you, I mean, this is a tough question. Is there any memorable kind of missteps you've had uh, <laughs> yes. with, that still affects how you think and work today with companies? Yeah. I mean, there are definitely, I think probably as many other people in this room, I, I have hired the wrong people, um, you know, the wrong people for that role. I ultimately really believe that there's a right role for someone everywhere. I've done that. I've waited too long to let people go. I've done all those things myself, even though I'm the person who advises people about those things. But I would say the biggest lesson I had for me, and it kind of goes back to authenticity, the first um, time I got promoted, it was when I was at Starbucks, or I don't know if it was the first time, but I got to be a director, which to me felt like a big, important leadership job. And so I decided in my infinite wisdom that I would completely change my personality overnight and be what I thought a director was. Wow. And so I showed up with my team in this new Margot as director persona, which was not engaging, not candid, definitely not funny. Mm. Um, and my team was sort of like, to my boss, like, why did you just promote her? Uh, you know, where did Margot go? Who took her overnight and abducted her and replaced <laughs> her with this director Margot? Right. And so the very reason I'd been promoted I was not being that person. I think that really gave me like such a good lesson about one, being authentic, but also being transparent and being vulnerable and honest with people. Because what they missed was just me being honest in myself and telling it like it is, which they liked about me. And so I think that it really instilled in me a confidence and also helping other people so that they could fully be themselves as leaders and not feel like there's one template for a leader. Well, a question that you ask that, you know, I've been fascinated with and um, is really against the grain, I think, is that everybody thinks when they think about um, what we need to be successful, we think about things we need to learn. And one of the questions you ask is, what do you need to unlearn to be successful? And I wanted to know why you asked that question. Yeah, I, I saw it. So I think I really learned that at Stitch Fix. And so Stitch Fix operates on data. So we had, I think at Stitch Fix, there were 100 data scientists, people who used to be astrophysicists who were now directing all their attention to getting the right clothes to the right person. <laughs> and people would join the company from great companies like The Gap or Banana Republic where a lot of the decisions made around products were gut. Mm -hmm. And what I saw was that people who were really successful at transitioning were saying, oh, now I have all of this data. I can actually learn a new way to actually buy and to be able to predict what people are going to want. And I saw the people who could unlearn those things were actually way more successful than people who couldn't. And I see that in myself. I think when we get stuck in terms of this is how I do something, I'm doing a robot gesture, but it's that kind of robotic element and it inhibits our ability to innovate. So I think it's always healthy to think about what we need to let go of and unlearn so that we can actually find another way. So there's a lot of openness and willingness, and as you've said earlier, vulnerability, really, in that kind of growth. Absolutely. So I'm wondering, how would you define relentless? Relentless. I think it's, I, this is what I'm, I'm going with lately, which is feeling the fear and doing it anyway. So I think relentless for me personally has just been about really going after what I want in life, 
even when it scares me. So recently, I left a great corporate job. I loved it, but I really felt called to do something else in speaking and writing and helping other companies. And I was scared and still am, um, but there's a higher calling. So I think relentless just continue, it means continuous challenge of yourself to go after what you're really here to do, even in the face of uncertainty and fear, and have a side dose of compassion. Because I think that we don't always want to be relentless on ourselves in the wrong ways. Mm -hmm. I love the term relentless, but I think we don't want to turn it inside. I think we need a little bit of the self-compassion that will help us continue to be relentless. Well, I have, I have one question before we go to um, some, other, some audience questions, and that is, you're kind of a coach's coach at this point, and I'm wondering if there's one adjustment that you see when you're advising these early companies, what's the one common adjustment mm. that you tend to see across the board that often applies? I think it comes to hiring. I think uh, when you're thinking about hiring people, and we've heard this before, but it's never too early to start thinking about hiring people who you think could be even greater than you, always. And not to shy away from that. And if you think you're starting now, you're probably six months behind. And I don't say that to scare you, but I think the pace of change and, and, the, and growth, if you're doing well, is going to be so quickly. I know I've looked back over time and thought, I should have hired that person three months ago, but I didn't. And so now you have to constantly be thinking about that. But I think it's having the ability to see people who can really contribute to your team and not have that ego and letting go of doing everything yourself. So I think when you're starting out, I know I was like that at Stitch Fix, I was one of three people and we were hiring all those people and it was really hard at sometimes to say, it's not for me to do that job anymore. Yeah, It's for someone else now to come and, and do that job and actually to take that job to another level. And to trust them to do that to job. To trust them to do it and to coach and support and to really allow that person to thrive. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Are you willing to take some questions from the audience? Absolutely, happy to do that. Fantastic. Um, please give it up for Margot Downs. So we have some questions here from the audience. Uh, the first question, one person can affect the culture of an office. What are some tips to help stop the negativity in its tracks? Ooh, I love that question. That's a great question. It's a really good question. Feedback. You got to talk to them about it. And I know that's uncomfortable, but you really have to. Um, and I think you have to be very firm and clear about what is accepted and what's not accepted. And going back to compassion, I think you want to give this person the benefit of the doubt because you don't necessarily know what their intentions are. So one of the things I like to think about in terms of giving feedback is to talk to people about what the impact is. So, for example, and Julie, you're great, but Julie, I experienced you in this way. This was the experience I had with your behavior. And the impact on me was X. So it's not like I'm coming at Julie and saying, Julie, you're so negative, you're really ruining the office. So it could be like, hey, Julie, I noticed that you're talking about other people or you're consistently late to meetings. It's super factual and not emotional. I think then if you give that feedback, I think you can really give that person an opportunity to change. Because sometimes people are not aware. Right, and also what I love about it is you bring it into yourself. You, you yeah. talk about it and you're not blaming it to them, you're bringing it onto yourself to some extent. Exactly. That's fantastic. Another question people had, uh, what are best practices to establish your company culture after an acquisition? Ooh, 
That's a good one. It's a tough one. That's a tough one. I think, I don't know if I'm the best but to answer that, but I think, again, it probably goes back to some of the things we've talked about, which is really being clear about what is the culture that you're establishing. So if you're the company that's acquired, are you going to take parts of the other company and incorporate that into your company? Or is this like we're actually you know, joining together and we want people to start working in the new culture. And if that's the case, in both cases, I think you have to enroll people and I think you have to talk to people about it and really get them on board and give people the opportunity to opt out. Hmm. That's one thing we didn't talk about. I think it's actually really kind for people to say and for everyone to say, hey, this isn't working for me anymore. I don't want to necessarily be a part of this culture, and that's actually okay for everybody. That's but I think point. sometimes we try to hang on. There's no point for that. They can go be great somewhere else. Another question we have, we, we are people who like to fix things. How do we go from fixing to coaching? Oh, this is so good. I like and this. And it's so tempting to want to fix. I am very opinionated. <laughs> person, which maybe you can't tell by now, but I am actually opinionated. And so sometimes I want to just say, you should just do this, or this is the best solution. And I think the, the way that I've approached that and what I've learned is to, to adopt the mentality of being committed, but not attached. Hmm. And by that, I actually mean I'm committed to the person, but I'm not necessarily attached to how they're going to do it. So I think it's just going to require some self-discipline and some restraint. And, you know, this is not quite fixing, but you can still paint a picture of what great looks like for somebody as you're coaching them. So that doesn't mean that they're completely on their own and you're out there waiting for them to see the light. So I think that there's a way to bring your good quality of fixing into a way that doesn't feel like it's overly fixing or that people would feel like there's something wrong with them. If you don't mind me asking, just as a follow-up, how would you give that person, like impart that belief or that vision into someone who has a hard time seeing it themselves? About how they would see their themselves and their performance? I think, again, it's probably giving them feedback. I think it would be to say, here's what I've already seen you do. Or to be able to give them a like experience that they could apply to the new thing that they're learning. How can we take what you adopted from that coaching to actually sell more houses or whatever the case may be? I think that it's reminding people that they have a pattern of success. I think it can be easy to forget that, especially if things aren't going well. You know, we, th- we I can get like that myself where I just think I don't do anything right or this is a complete disaster. And I think it's really, a coach can remind somebody, hey, hold on a minute, you've actually done this before. Remember that? Yeah, that's fantastic because everyone, even if you all think uh, now, it, people think back and you say, what is a time I've been incredibly successful at something or I've overcome something? Right. And then be able to say, how did you do that? You right. know, what did you contain? That's It's so wonderful. I think it helps people relax so then they're more receptive to the coaching. That's true. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, Last question. My background isn't in real estate. How do I gain credibility as a manager or leader without having walked in their shoes? That's such a thoughtful question. It is. These are so good. Look, coaching works both ways. So you don't actually have to be the expert to coach someone. You have to be a really good listener. You have to be a great observer and a great learner. And this is an opportunity for you to be coached by the person that you're going to be leading who has all of this great experience. 
So I think that that is, is really a huge opportunity. And look, you're in this role as a leader for a reason. And so you need to remind yourself of that as well, a little self-talk of why you are the manager and the leader. But what a great opportunity to really ask them, like, tell me what the experience is like in real estate or tell me what you know, teach me what you know. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And unfortunately, we have to wrap up. But I want to thank a, a few people. I want to thank the audience so much for all the great questions that you had. And I want to thank Century 21, certainly, for having us here in Palm Springs. It has been fantastic. And thank you, Margot Downs, thank for you. joining us here on the podcast. Thank you, Julie. And thanks, everyone. Great. The Relentless is produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. I'm Dr. Julie Gurner. Thanks so much for listening, and please join us next time. Copyright Century 21 Real Estate, LLC. All rights reserved. Century 21 Real Estate, LLC fully supports the principles of the Fair Housing Act and the Equal Opportunity Act. Each office is independently owned and operated. This material may contain suggestions and best practices that you may use at your discretion. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals featured and not necessarily of Century 21 Real Estate. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.